You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hello, Nathan. Hi, Bernard. Great to be uh, speaking to you here. Okay, we met on Twitter. You are in Korea, I understand. That's correct, yes. What do you do? I work for a Korean company that helps startups. The company is called Be Success. Essentially, we're a media and events company that is pri- that is uh, exclusively focused on helping startups, both in Korea but also around the Asia, re- Asia region, to build their businesses outside their domestic borders. Um, so we, we have a startup media platform in both English and Korean, um, and we run two global events. Uh, one of them is in Seoul. That's normally in May, a conference called Be Global. And the other one is in Silicon Valley, and we hold that one every September. So I understand that Be Global originally started from a conference called Be Launch. That was about two years ago, right? Yes, that's right. So we held our first annual conference in June of 2012, and then we we held our first Silicon Valley conference the year afterwards. Yes, you're right. Up until this year, the conference has been called Be Launch, and for any of your listeners, they they probably know it by that name. For really, just uh, we're rebranding to to be global because we think that that fits our vision more than before. So you should uh, certainly look out for our Be Global conference, which will be held the twelfth and thirteenth of May in twenty fifteen. Correct. In Seoul. And the success is the blog, right? That you write because I followed it two years back when it was still be launched through also mentions from one of our friend com- common friends from China, Gang yes. from Techno. He told me about the conference. So that was how I knew, get to know about your blog. In fact, I wanted to reach out to you all. It's great that you're finally here on the show. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. You, you're mentioning that uh, you're hoping to get in contact with us through through Gang, who actually spoke at this year's Be Launch in, in, in Seoul. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's a small world. Uh, I think the startup world in, in Asia is, you know, it's, it's quite a tight group of great people. So it's nice to be connected. Yes, it's great. Nathan, you originally came from the UK? That's right. Yes, I was I was born in Scotland and grew up near London. I first made my way over to Asia back in 2003, over a decade ago now. I've been back and forth a little bit. I've spent, you know, within that time a year in China, altogether 6 years in Korea now. And also uh, in the middle, I was back in the UK working in London and also doing my master's degree in London. I'm now, you know, very much based out here in, in South Korea. I've got a Korean wife as well now. Yeah, you know, very, very excited about what's what's happening in Asia to do with uh, technology and startups. I understand that the B Global Conference have both the one that is happening in the Seoul and then the other one is happening in Silicon Valley. I also see that you have very, very good speakers. How do you help startups to reach out to the to the global audience? particularly by going into Silicon Valley. Sure. So we've we've obviously seen a lot of activity in Korea over the last uh, two or three years in particular. There's a lot of very interesting startups emerging. And I think as is the case really everywhere, they're, they're put together by, by young people who have a lot of enthusiasm. The, the typical team will consist of a couple of uh, developers and maybe one or two guys from the marketing side. I think what they lack in many cases is really a global vision and a global network to bring their company up to the next level. 
So I think that's where B success comes in. We can really help them engage more effectively with markets beyond their traditional domestic borders. And we do this through assisting them with, uh, you know, connecting with uh, overseas media. Of course, we have our own blogs, which are, are, are powerful tools to help them connect with uh, overseas investors to, to get their name out, um, you know, beyond Korea. And then so that and we've also built, you know, very strong online communities through Facebook and Twitter. And then obviously the conferences are ways that we can bring those networks together offline as well. Um, you know, it's all well and good having exposure and building networks online. But I think that, you know, real business is still done offline. So I think that our B Global Conference in Seoul is a way to showcase what is happening in Asia, not just in Korea. And yes, you're right. We have a, a very strong lineup of, of speakers. Uh, I think this year we had 35 or 40, you know, really top-notch speakers uh, coming, many from Silicon Valley, and, and, you know, sharing their experiences with Asian startups. But also, it's an opportunity for them to, to build connections in Asia to bring their businesses over here. And then uh, our conference in September is much more about bringing Korean and Asian startups over to Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley is, is obviously still the, the heartland of global technology and entrepreneurship. And I think that even though for Asian startups, you know, markets closer to home are a uh, step up to the next level. And I guess with our Silicon Valley conference, one of the main focuses is really to connect them with venture capital money from Silicon Valley that can help their expansion both over in the US, but, you know, even more so perhaps in Asia. I guess in the B success team, there is also the local Koreans, right? So how is the kind of startup culture like in Korea? Sure. I'm actually the, the only foreigner in the B-Success team. Our, our CEO is a, a Korean. He's a, a long-term friend of mine. Many people are very surprised at this, but the B-Success team is actually only six people. Uh, many people are quite surprised at how much we're actually able to achieve with such a small team. But I, we're, you know, just like the startups that we're trying to help, we are also a startup. In terms of the culture of entrepreneurship in, in Korea, I think that there can be many parallels drawn between between the situation in Korea and the situation that is now happening really across Asia. I think that, you know, it's very true that there's not a, a long-term history of entrepreneurship in Korea in, in the same way that there, that's, that's the case across Asia. There's, you know, there's a, a traditional fear of, of the unknown, a fear of, of taking major risks. And culturally, failure is, is not accepted in the same way that it is in the US. But as as in many other places that I've seen across Asia, those old stigmas are beginning to, to die away. And you're seeing, you know, young Koreans with fantastic um, educational backgrounds, looking for something different, something beyond just getting a, a corporate career in Samsung or, or for, for the government. So I think I think that the, the culture of entrepreneurship in Korea is still very, very young. You know, I think you can only go back, you know, maybe five years at the maximum to, to see where this current wave of entrepreneurship started. And while it is still in its infancy, I think there's a real energy among Korean entrepreneurs to do something different, to change the world through technology. And 
to to accept you know risk and uh, and build something really amazing for themselves rather than for for a large corporation is the kind of startup activity now currently centered in Seoul or other parts of Korea the total population of Korea is around 50 million and half of those people around 26 million people actually live in greater Seoul so by far most of the activity in in industry and finance and business and startups is based in Seoul just because they're there is so much of the population here and obviously greater Seoul with it being such a big population is the primary market for all of these new tech services however you you do see some activity down in Busan which is a city on the very south coast of, of Korea and uh, you're also seeing the the emergence of a uh, kind of startup center around the, the University of Keist, which is in Daejeon, which is about halfway down the country. You're seeing uh, entrepreneurship emerging in a few other centers, but uh, I would say that, you know, by far and away, most of the activity is in Seoul. Tell me about some of the interesting companies that you have seen so far that have emerged from this nascent ecosystem. I've identified a, a few startups here which I think are particularly interesting. Now, I, I think before I start, perhaps one one thing first is that uh, while there are you know a, a growing number of very very interesting companies, um, I think one thing that Korea and perhaps the rest of Asia as well lacks is is building building technology companies based on you know a core innovative technology. I think that many of the startups we're seeing emerging in Korea are much more an innovation on the business model or or simply, you know, the founders are executing very, very well on on existing, you know, business models, existing technology. Now that that's absolutely fine, but it, I think in the future it'd be great to see some of these companies really uh, creating new technologies that don't exist anywhere else in the world. And that I think is when we can start looking at some of these companies as, you know, competing with with uh, you know c companies over in Silicon Valley. Um, so I'll, I'll go through a few of the companies that that stick out in my mind at this time. The first is a a company called Coupang. Uh, Coupang is basically a, a clone of Groupon, which was founded around four years ago. Um, so it's a still a very a very young company. Uh, the founder went through uh, Harvard and he actually dropped out of um, Harvard Business School to return to Korea and found Coupang. Quite a typical uh, U.S. story, even. And you know, he came back to Korea, founded this company Coupang, and originally it was uh, merely a deal, daily deals site, uh, very similar to Groupon. But unlike Groupon, they're actually still doing very very well. They've now moved into conducting their business very similar to to Amazon. So they're now an e-commerce player. Just this year, they actually raised a hundred million dollars from Sequoia Capital. Um, at a valuation of a billion dollars. Now, this is a, a fantastic, you know, startup story from Korea, and to see these kind of numbers and and this kind of these this size of investment coming from North America is is really unprecedented. And they're they're going to be using this money uh, to expand outside Korea now. Uh, they're looking very keenly at. Chinese market, I know, and it's. I think it's very likely that they will look to to go public with their company sometime next year. Another another company that is doing exceptionally well right now is a company called Mimi Box. Again, it's almost a, it's basically a direct clone of Birchbox in the U.S. Essentially, their business model is that their users pay around fifteen dollars per month, and every month they get sent a box uh, full of cosmetics, and obviously the value of the the cosmetics in the box you know, can exceed maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. So for their end users, they're getting fantastic value. 
And um, all of these cosmetics come as samples from cosmetics companies. So Mimibox is just distributing free samples and, and charging their end users for them. Um, now, this company was the first Korean startup to go through Y Combinator. They finished that program earlier this year. And uh, I've heard, uh, not confirmed, but I've heard that they're actually on course to bill around $100 million worth in revenue in their first 12 months of operation in the US. So again, a very, very rare story of a Korean startup breaking out of their home market and actually doing incredibly well overseas and in the US. There's another company, um, a food delivery service, which again was, uh, they've been in operation for around four years. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, they closed a series uh, D, I believe, round from Goldman Sachs, which was worth um, almost $40 million. Um, and again, they're using that really to, uh, to leverage their amazing success in Korea and start looking at other, sea, other overseas markets. Um, I, I believe that initially they'll be looking at the Japanese market and then possibly looking at uh, either China or Southeast Asia after that. That's the Minjok, um, if I pronounce yes, it so correctly, that, right? Yeah, that's correct. So that company is called Bedal Minjok. Yeah, mm. that's right. So it seems that they have actually made food delivery work because I think there is also a lot of very similar services in Southeast Asia, but they have not been doing that well because uh, same-day delivery is actually very high cost in logistics. So what make, makes them so unique against that they can actually do so well in Korea? It's a, it's a good question. I think that I, they, they've delivered, you know, the, the execution of their business has been, uh, I wouldn't say flawless, but it's been very effective. Interestingly, their CEO actually doesn't come from a technology background. He, he comes from a uh, much more of a design background, and I think that their the way they've been able to build their brand as well as the uh, the technology has has been has played a major role in their in their success. And yes, I mean you're you're absolutely right. They are the market leader in Korea. They're doing incredibly well. They're looking to expand out to the to the Japanese market and within Korea as well. You mentioned the logistics issue that many of these companies face in Southeast Asia. Again, I think uh, I want to mention that uh, the, the population of Seoul is 26 million people. If you're talking about delivering anything to a city, it's obviously much easier than uh, worrying about logistics across an entire country. And I think this is one of the things that it is you know, really valuable for Korean startups to be aware of, and also for other startups who are looking at entering the Korean market. Just looking at the city of Seoul, you've got a, a, a city of highly affluent people in a, in a very, very small concentrated area. That's right. It's very similar to Jakarta where um, Greater Jakarta is almost about 27 million as well in, in terms of the share size. I mean, although it's already 10% of the Indonesian market, but it's a very large size that that's why most of the startups activity is also concentrated in Jakarta as a result of that in Indonesia. No, that, that's absolutely true. So I, I guess there are two more companies um, that you want to talk about. I think one of them is called Soka and Five Rocks, which I heard was acquired recently by Tapjoy. So what are they about then? Sure. So, so Five Rocks is a, a game analytics engine. They basically do real-time analytics on games, which is something that's really crucial to, to mapping you know, user behavior with games. You have to be able to react it uh, very, very quickly and uh, make adjustments to the game and, and you know, track user behavior in, in real time. So they've created a, a very powerful analytics engine to be able to do this. And uh, the company 
really only started as well around three years ago, as far as I remember. They they actually raised money off the back of a uh, an introduction that we made for them to Global Brain, which is a, a Japanese VC with a, a keen Korean interest. And actually, yeah, with, within 12 months of that, they'd been acquired by Tapjoy in the U.S., and again, this is quite a standout example because unlike the uh, the other examples I told you, this is a core technology company, which is quite unusual for a Korean startup. They also unusually uh, really tapped into the opportunity discovered quite early on in Japan and did very well there, also helped by their, their alliance with Global Brain. And then uh, for, the, for the company to then be acquired by Tapjoy based in the U.S. demonstrates that, uh, you know, a, a top U.S., company saw value in in a company that was founded up in in korea i think things are really beginning to accelerate how about so um, and yes uh men, you mentioned uh, so yeah yes. so so car was a company that raised 18 million dollars very very recently it's uh, a company that i guess falls into the category of the the sharing economy they are a, a car rental service essentially they've grown very very rapidly over the last year or so they they raised 18 million dollars recently um, it was their first round of funding, so they'd really bootstrapped up until that point. And uh, they're they're delivering incredibly cost-effective car sharing services to the the Korean population. So and it, of course, yeah. Mm. So is it similar to Lyft in the U.S. in terms of SoCar, or more similar to Zipcar, for example? It's more similar to 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 Zipcar. It's it's not it's not an Uber-like service. It's hiring private cars for like, almost like a rental service. But the difference is that the the cost is much much lower, and you can actually hire cars by you know in in thirty minute slots. So for example, I could hire a car from immediately outside my house, go do my shopping in Costco, which is you know five kilometers away, be back within an hour. And only have to pay two or three dollars. Actually, cheaper and more convenient in some cases than than taking public transport. The interesting thing is that most of the service you talk about actually varies across the kind of web services. How about mm. mobility in that case? I mean, um, one thing I do know about Korean is that the mobile wallet culture, which is very similar to Japan. So, is there like interesting? mobile applications or is mobile much more prevalent within the Korean market? Koreans are very much addicted to their smartphones. Um, I think that in in Korea, you've seen perhaps one of the first markets in the world to, to get close to smartphone saturation. It's expected that smartphone sales this year will actually be lower for the first time than, than the previous year. So I think Korea is a very, very mature market for smartphone adoption. And obviously, that means the the population here is is experienced in using smartphones. It's got to a, such an extent that the government has actually declared smartphone addiction as a as a problem. Wow. <laughs> um, which, yeah, which, which I guess demonstrates you know how far it's actually come. So Koreans are very very comfortable on mobile. Korea actually has the third largest e-commerce market in Asia, and of course, that e-commerce market is now switching over to to smartphones. You know, Koreans are, are now quite happy spending money on their smartphones, certainly through in-app purchases. Whenever myself and my wife go to watch a, a, a movie, uh, we always buy the tickets on, on the mobile. The mobile can be used for paying for transport, both uh, taxis and, and public transport. And uh, the, the payment situation up until this time has been uh, a little bit complicated in Korea insofar as there being paywalls um, us using act ActiveX controls. 
um, up until very, very recently, companies couldn't uh, retain and save credit card details, which meant that consumers uh, making payments either on mobile or web needed to enter their credit card details every time they made a purchase. And obviously, that's quite a big barrier for, for e-commerce companies. Now, that, that barrier is being lifted now. And I actually expect the, the, the mobile payments and e-commerce, mobile commerce sectors in Korea to, to really heat up in the next 12 months or so. Yes, this is also related to this ActiveX, so which also gives Microsoft Internet Browser to have basically almost 98% market share for a very long time in the Korean market as well. If lifting that, it means that the other browsers are going to start taking market share within Korea. Do you foresee that? Absolutely. I, I think that's you're absolutely correct. I think actually the, the motivation for the government for this was the, the fact that Korean goods and services are, are now actually very highly prized across Asia and particularly in China. So if you're walking about around in Seoul on the weekend particularly, um, certain areas of Seoul where there's a lot of shopping are, are flooded with Chinese uh, visitors and tourists, uh, you know, going to the department stores and, and doing high street shopping. Now, if the government were to open up e-commerce channels to customers overseas, I think you could see the uh, the Korean e-commerce market really, really uh, blossom because obviously now with the ActiveX controls, it's very, very difficult um, for overseas consumers to buy goods on from Korea. The, the removal of the, the ActiveX controls that are limiting e-commerce in Korea, you know, could, could really have a huge impact. So I guess when there is startups, there are investors. And I guess you talk, you talk about Sequoia capital entering into Korea, Goldman Sachs doing leading very large rounds. Of course, in Silicon Valley, I remember of a company called Formation 8 because uh, one of the founders of Formation 8 was the grandson of the LG, the, one of the most well-known consumer electronics company in the world. Who are the kind of VCs or super angels? I mean, it's a very nascent ecosystem. Are there any kind of interesting VC companies that you typical entrepreneurs would talk to or they are leading the way? There's a large number and, and growing number of, uh, of VCs in Korea. I'll, I'll maybe just run through a, a few good examples here. And so as, as you mentioned, Sequoia has, has made a, a big investment in Kupang this year. Um, as far as I know, they don't have an office here. And there's, uh, I guess, a similar situation with Goldman Sachs. As for local VCs, uh, the kind of people that you'd probably turn to on the early stage would be a, a company called Bon Angels, uh, which was one of the, the first established VCs in Korea, probably going back uh, five or six years. And then there's a, a company called K-Cube Ventures, which was founded by someone who used to work at H, uh, NHN, which is obviously the uh, the largest Korean IT company at, at the moment. Sorry, internet company, not IT company. That would be Samsung, of course. There's a company called Capstone partners and uh, that yeah there's a, a large number now of, of Korean early stage VCs I would I would probably say that it's in the region of 10 companies that that provide venture capital for Korean tech companies but you're also seeing now and you we kind of touched on it already is the number of overseas venture capitals that are also now becoming interested in Korea um, the obvious examples Sequoia and uh, I guess on the private equity side, Goldman Sachs. But you're also seeing companies like Altos Ventures, which are a US or Silicon Valley based VC. Uh, they've now got a, a $60 million Korea focused fund. Digital Entertainment Ventures from New York have set up a local office and accelerator in Korea. Um, Cyber Agent Ventures from Japan also have a local office. In fact, uh, the SoftBank Ventures 
global headquarters is also in Seoul. And they were set up again four or five years ago, I believe, and have, you know, are, are very, very active on, on the VC front as well. And in fact, uh, Global Soft, Brain, we mentioned yeah, them as Correct, Global Brain as well. SoftBank Ventures have recently done two major rounds in Southeast Asia. Global Brain also has its activity in, in Southeast Asia also quite often as well. So they are all operating out of Korea in, in that case. How about Formation 8 then? Formation 8 has, has an office and they've got, uh, I think, six or seven staff in Korea. Global Brain at the moment don't have a, a Korean office, but obviously they, they have they are making investments in Korea. CyberAgent do have an office here. Uh, Rakuten Ventures have also made a couple of investments in Korea. The question for me would be, are they all located, localized within the area? I mean, if you go to Silicon Valley, all the VCs are on Sand Hill Road, right? In Singapore, that doesn't happen. We have a Block 71 area. Uh, maybe some yep. of the VCs stays there. But what about in the case of um, Korea? Does all the VCs all localize within a certain area or they are all located in different parts of the city? Primarily, most most of the uh, the startup activity is based in Seoul and it's actually mostly concentrated around probably the most famous area of Seoul, Gangnam, um, which was popularized by, by Sai in his Gangnam style. And uh, yeah, actually most of the, the, the Korean startup act activity is in that area. Really? And so Gangnam style is also the, the startup place to... Gangnam style is startup style, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's interesting to know. Okay, so the VC is also located there too. I guess it's an area which spans maybe five or six subway stations in the southeastern corner of Seoul, which is where Gangnam is. And for anyone who's been to Seoul, you probably know where Gangnam Station is. So really, if you go east on, on the same subway line, about three or four stations, you can get within say, uh, a 10-15 minute walk of almost all of the VCs and uh, a large number of accelerators and, and startup offices. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of which, how about accelerators and incubators in Korea? There are. So again, uh, Korea is a very young startup ecosystem. And if you go back more than about five years, there were no accelerators, none none of the ones that, um, that you, you know of now. So the first one, uh, was a company or an accelerator called Case Startup. They've been around for about three and a half, four years, very much modeled on the, the Silicon Valley style of accel accelerator. Uh, they focus on very early stage companies. They go through a three-month program. They get around twenty-five, dollars $40,000 of, of seed capital. And uh, I guess there's a focus within Case Startup of, of helping early stage companies go global. That's a common theme which runs through a lot of the uh, the programs and organizations that support startups in Korea. Yeah. So, so I think that really K-Startup -Start was one of the first. Probably the most well-known now is another accelerator called uh, Spark Labs. They've just finished, uh, I'm going to their demo day this Thursday, um, they've just finished their fourth batch. So they've been around for a couple of years now. And uh, they've had a couple of fairly large successes. In, in their first batch was uh, Mimibox that we spoke about before and also an education startup called Nori, which has just raised $8 million um, over in the U.S. Um, so Spark Labs, uh, they, they go in batches of, of 10 startups uh, that last for three months as well. And again, their, their focus is really to help these companies go global. There's also a, a number of other start, uh, accelerators. Tribaluga opened recently. And they focus on connecting Korean startups with the Chinese market. There's two two accelerators called Future Play and The Ventures. They were founded 
founded by successful Korean entrepreneurs. If you're down in Singapore, you probably know about the company uh, Vicky. So the 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 original founding co uh, couple that founded Vicky are the same people that founded this accelerator, The Ventures, just recently. And in a similar story, an entrepreneur called Jung Hee Liu uh, sold his company around two years ago to Intel, uh, used that finance to uh, to build his own accelerator as well. Hmm. I would say you've got coming up to around 10 active accelerators in Seoul now. Are these kind of similar to the well-known accelerators like Y Combinator, 500 Startups or JFDI in Southeast? Yeah, sure. So I would say that Case Startup and Spark Labs follow that model, kind of Y Combinator model. Future Play is a little bit different. Future Play is both, it's a, they, they have their own VC arm. They do early stage investments up to around a million dollars. They also have an incubator and uh, they would like to empower Korea's top technologists and engineers to, to build amazing products. So they're actually attracting some of the top developers out of companies like Samsung to come and join them. They, they give the, the inventors, as they call them, a, a good annual salary and basically give them all the resources that they need to become innovators, to become entrepreneurs. And then at the end of the year, the anticipation is that these guys will then build a team around the technology that they built in the first year and, and create a startup team around it. So that's a, quite a different model from, from the YC model. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. They've, they've now got a, a full house of inventors and uh, we'll, I guess we'll have to wait for a, a year or so to see um, some some success stories coming out of that, mm. uh, but they're very very focused on hard hardcore technology and and building you know real 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 technology innovations. So traditionally, typically after a startup builds its own market share in the Korean market, which market do they usually expand adjacent to? Is I mean I've heard that a lot of Korean companies like Japan as a market because I think culturally wise they are very similar and China as well. Where do you, do you see them usually go to these two markets first before going to the US or maybe some of them as what has happened to the, with the, the global conference, they actually move straight to the US and some would even go down to Southeast Asia. I think going back to two years uh, when I first joined Be Success, there was a huge emphasis on expansion to the US. It's, it's a big market. It's where you know the heartland of technology is. It's uh, everybody in the U.S. speaks a single language and all the rest of it. However, what we've seen is that it's really, really difficult for for Korean and Asian technology startups to penetrate the U.S. market because geographically it's it's a long way away. It's a different language. It's a different culture. Even though it is a big market, it's incredibly spread out. You know, if, if you successfully launch your service in San Francisco, it doesn't mean that it's also going to take off in Austin, Texas and New York. And I think that Korean companies, from what I've seen at least, have struggled to to enter the US market. It's taken a lot more energy, a lot more time and a lot more money than they first expected. So what you're seeing now is Korean companies looking much, much closer to home. I, I think the, the major success stories that I've seen are coming out of uh, Japan, um, or at least Korean startups entering the Japanese market. As, as you mentioned, uh, geographically, it's, it's very, very close. A flight from Seoul to Tokyo is about two hours. Culturally, there is no other country that is as similar 
to Korea is Japan. Very, very similar economic climate in both countries, you know, very similar geographical spread as well in terms of, you know, the big cities. So I think that it makes a, a whole lot of sense for Korean startups to expand initially to the uh, the Japanese market, you know, perhaps look at China or, or Southeast Asia next. I guess there's one pretty good example of this, a company that you might have heard of called VCNC. They've got this application for couples called Between. Oh, I've seen that um, in it's Southeast Asia. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So they, they expanded very naturally to the Japanese market when they started getting users in Japan. And then they hired someone locally there. They were then beginning to, to get users in, in Southeast Asia. And so they hired uh, someone in, in Singapore to head up their Southeast Asia market expansion. Um, I believe that they've now hired someone also in Bangkok. I think that the, the story that you see unfolding with VCNC will probably be repeated by many, many Korean startups over the next few years. It just makes a lot more sense to expand uh, a market close to home. Then try and tackle something like the US that you know it is so incredibly tough. Okay, I I guess the startup scene, the VC scene are very interesting, but usually in the big ecosystem itself, there will always be what I call the conglomerates and the multinational Korean companies. So mm. when it comes to mind, if you talk about China, you have the what is called the bad companies, the Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent in. Korea, there is. I'm sure. No, we will not avoid Samsung, and, <laughs> I think, and some on, on some level also SK Telecom as well. As far as I know, they are one of the biggest as well. How does these conglomerates or very large Korean enterprises operate within the ecosystem itself? Very, very interesting topic, and actually, I think that this is one of the areas that needs a massive improvement. <laughs> in in the US, I actually just saw a presentation by Anis Usman, who is the, the CEO of Phoenix VC, and they're very active now in Asia as well. And he was saying that 90% of global M&A happens in the US. So I think that I think that Asian corporations really need to get on board and start getting much more interested in what's going on much further down the food chain and start speaking with startups and, and figuring out how they can work together. Um, you're seeing some of the large Japanese corporations doing it. Obviously, SoftBank, CyberAgent, uh, Rakuten. Korean big conglomerates are not getting as involved as they should. So you're um, talking Samsung. about Samsung and LG, for example. Yeah, so for example, with uh, with Samsung, they, they don't have uh, a local VC arm. Uh, they don't have a local accelerator. And in many cases, actually, Samsung doesn't have a good reputation with startups. There's a feeling that Samsung, you know, if they do involve themselves with startups, it's more about you know, trying to buy up the uh, the company very, very early at a poor valuation and, and almost threatening them, you know, you can either take this money and we'll acquire you or we're going to copy you anyway. But Samsung now, has an accelerator, a VC arm, and an incubator in Silicon Valley. Yes, exactly. They, so, they, so, so, so it's a little bit interesting that they don't invest within their own ecosystem. Yes, and uh, what I've heard is that they, they've got the money and the power to, to go and find the best startups in the world and the best startups in the world are in Silicon Valley so they spent a billion dollars setting up a, an innovation center in Silicon Valley they're now trying to to suck up local talent in Silicon Valley now that certainly makes sense but as we all know you know it, it's often much easier to do business with people who are in in your own country and I think that for Samsung to to be ignoring the growth in the their domestic market 
is, you know, potentially quite short-sighted. Now, I, I have heard on the radar that they are looking to to change that, that they are, you know, potentially to, to look at something in Korea, but it's not happened yet. And it's um, perhaps even a bit disappointing that they've not got more involved. I mean, even, even Google is going to be setting up a, a, a Google campus in Seoul next year. So large... Uh, tech conglomerates from the, around the world are spotting the opportunities in, of, of engaging with Korean startups. But it seems like up until now, the domestic corporations are, are not, not sure what to do, I guess, uh, don't have the experience of engaging with startups and, and perhaps don't know where to start as well. Um, so you, you did men- SK, SK yeah, Telecom? Yeah, you, you did mention SK Telecom. Now, they are one of the few exceptions. So SK Telecom do have uh, an accelerator, and they they're doing they're doing good work, I guess. They're engaging with startups, and uh, they they they're releasing funding. But they're really one of the the exceptions. How about LG then? That's the other big conglomerate in Korea. LG, I've I've actually I spoke with their strategy team last year. Now things in Korea do change very quickly, so. In the last 12 months, you know, things could have changed. But basically, he was saying that LG almost operates in the shadow of Samsung. And if Samsung doesn't do something, they don't do it. Oh, boy. So <laughs> um, if they have accelerator, incubator, and VC arm, you will all come at the same time then. Is that how it's going to happen? It wouldn't surprise me at all. At the moment, LG is, as far as I'm aware, is not really doing anything for startups. But I imagine... I mean, things have got to change. Korean founders are building interesting companies these days. And, you know, Samsung, the big, the other big corporations will get on board at some point. I think it's really just a case of when. Yeah. So we talk about Samsung. We also talk about their recent troubles in the smartphone market. How is that perceived in Korea as of such times? So their troubles in the smartphone market, you're obviously referring to their, their dip in sales and revenue. Yeah. So they're now being crunched from by Apple from the high end and Xiaomi and Micromax on the low end. I mean, it would be more interesting to talk about Apple's recent entry into Korea. So there is certain reports that talk about Apple products have now, particularly the iPhones, are penetrating into the Korean market. Is that a real situation from your perspective or is Korean still very much a Samsung nation? Korea is still very, very much a Samsung nation. The first iPhone was released in Korea in 2009. And in the last five years, Apple has only only managed to get 15% market penetration. So they've they've not done very well up until now. Uh, their most recent iPhone 6 has been relatively popular, but their market share was declining quite steadily for the last couple of years because many people in the, in the market felt that Apple wasn't really doing very much interesting over the last couple of iPhone releases. But their their iPhone 6 has has uh, has gained uh, a lot of attraction and, and they've gained a bit of market share back. But yes, I think probably more of a danger to Samsung and Apple are are the new pretenders um likes of xiaomi huawei htc and, and others who yeah. are who are now building good quality phones at you know much much lower prices the the smartphone market it's it's unlikely we're going to see any major major innovations and it's it's going to turn into a, a battleground with ever increasing numbers of, of players which is going to make things you know very very competitive for everybody involved what's interesting is what both Apple and Samsung will do next. I think to focus too strongly on the smartphone market, which in some areas of the world is beginning to, to become saturated, I think they've got to look for the next big thing. Now that could be, it could be wearables, it could be IoT, you know, connected devices, or, or maybe it's going to be something else. But I, I think that as the, the global smartphone market 
it's become saturated, we're going to see something new emerge, something new and exciting, you know, on this on the same on a similar level, perhaps, as, uh, as the first smartphone release. Yeah, I mean, but we talk a lot about the troubles of Samsung in the smartphone market, unlike Sony, they have a very strong TV screen market, the screens market, they call it basically, with the foldable yeah. screens, there is also the solid state drives, which I think even Apple devices are, are still relying on their devices. Do you see Samsung able to sort of reinvigorate itself or or maybe just totally give up one market as a whole? I don't think they're going to give up the smartphone market. What I know is happening is that they're beginning to strengthen their capabilities in other areas, like, like you've mentioned. Now, there, there's nothing really visible at this stage, but uh, I think Samsung has achieved, obviously, a huge amount in the last five to ten years in terms of their, their global brand. They're I think some people think they're going to sit back and just wait <laughs> for the markets to wash over them and, and obliterate them. I, I think they're much smarter than that. They're not going to let that happen. Um, so while they will, of course, continue to pursue innovation on the smartphone side, I think there's a lot of other projects that are bubbling around in the background um, that could, you know, become the next big thing. At the moment, smart, uh, Samsung has around 30% global smartphone market share. That's likely to diminish with, you know, much more, much stronger competition from below. So. You know, they're in a position right now where they absolutely need to find uh, new avenues for revenue and new opportunities. And luckily, I guess for them and for Apple, they've got the big budgets, they've got the research development facilities, they've got, you know, innovation centers around the world. They have a little bit of time on their hands to, to find the next big thing. We'll just see, you know, I guess who delivers next on, on the big opportunity. Since we are talking about Korea, I can't get I can't definitely not walk out with you telling me about messaging apps. Kakotalk, right? How are yes. they shaping up against Line and WeChat? Very, very interesting story, which I've been following very closely over the last couple of years. So um, I still speak to people almost on a daily basis um, who are visiting Korea or who call in from overseas who've never heard of Kakotalk. Now, Kakotalk has around 97, 95% penetration on Korean smartphones, and it is by far the dominant um, social service in Korea. Uh, you're absolutely right that they launched as a, a basic messaging service, but now they've got a whole suite of probably a, a dozen services across the uh, the social spectrum. So they have a news service, they now have peer-to-peer -peer payments, they have messaging, of course, they've got a service called uh, Kakao Story, which looks and feels very similar to Facebook. They've grown in fully encompassing uh, social service, which dominates the Korean market utterly. And um, you, you mentioned Line and WeChat and, and WhatsApp. They have very, very low penetration in, in the Korean market. I think, to be honest, the only people who use other services are, are people like myself who do quite a bit of traveling around Asia and go back to Europe and, and the US sometimes. And we need to keep in touch with people overseas. But for, for local Koreans, um, KakaoTalk is, the, is the, the primary social network. Um, and to give you an example, um, I believe that Facebook only has around 20% um, market share in, in, in Korea, despite having entered the market around four or five years ago. Um, so that demonstrates the level of dominance that, that KakaoTalk has here. Now, that hasn't translated to overseas success. They have been able to garner around 150 million users around the world. But apart from the Korean market, they don't have dominance in any other markets around the world. It's a very dangerous position to be in because there's, again, so many messaging, uh, messaging services available now that if you don't have 
you know, control in a market, it's very easy to be squeezed out entirely. What is Kakao's strategy going forward? I'm not really sure. Some people even think that they should just double down on the Korean market and uh, make hay while the sun shines instead of trying to you know, enter new markets, plow money into overseas marketing that may actually not result in any success. They've obviously recently, this year, in fact, merged with uh, Daum Communications, the, the second largest Korean internet portal. So that's an interesting pairing up of heritage search engine with a, a, a brand new messenger. Daum Communications is very strong on the, the advertising side. Maybe they'll, they'll pull something out of the bag. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there. The search engine side, there is a search engine called Naver, right? Which is the Korean's default search engine that Google has not really beaten them yet. Yeah, that's true. So Naver, Naver has been lo losing a little bit of market share to, to Google recently. Google's been here for a long time. They've never gained more than about 10-15% market share. Down communications, I'm, I'm not sure what the current figures are, but uh, yes, Naver, Naver commands around 70% uh, of the Korean search market and with it the, uh, you know, the advertising revenue. Google is now is now beginning to, to, to get involved and Down is now, I guess, given a bit of a new lease of life through its merger with Kakao Talk. So we'll see. We'll see how things go. I think that Google is in Korea for the long term. They're not going to give up. Um, they're up against very fierce competition from from Naver, of course, and Down Communications is not going away. So it's an interesting space that is, I guess, shifting slowly. We'll we'll see what happens on on overall part of just looking at Korea. It feels a little bit more like China than in Japan because I think that the um, Western services, for example, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook are stronger in the domestic market, in, in Japan's domestic market as compared to Korea. Is, do you think that that dominance is going to be withering soon or is it just going to be always because of the advantage of language and localization makes it very difficult for the US services to penetrate into Korea? It's a good question. I think probably drawing uh, comparisons with China is, is not is not quite fair because I guess the reason that the likes of Google, Facebook, and Twitter are not in China is yeah because they're being they're... blocked. <laughs> so so it's a different situation in Korea. I, I think that overseas services will begin to take more of a foothold in Korea. Um, I think in the same way that Korean startups are really beginning to look to overseas markets, I think that Koreans also are becoming more globalized in the way that they consume. Uh, technology, and I can see that uh, you know foreign foreign companies will become more skillful, I guess, in dealing with the local market. I think one problem that some of these big services like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Foursquare have 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 had is that they haven't localized enough for the Korean market. You know, they've they've done well in Europe, and so they assume that they have global services. But I think that for the Korean market. You know, Korean con Korean mobile consumers, especially, are among the most experienced in the world, and they have they have a, a clear idea of what they expect of our services. And if things aren't tailored to their needs, uh, they're not going to use them. In many cases, there's already an existing player which offers a service which is slightly better tailored to their needs. So I, I think that Western companies at the moment simply don't understand the the mechanics of of the Korean market. But I think that will change. I think they will become 
smarter with the way that they they do their marketing and localization in Korea. And I think that, you know, Koreans are not, they're not going to reject a service simply because it's foreign. It's it's not that kind of situation. I think that at the moment, just local services are providing a, a better service for them than, than foreign. Well, I think that, that would be interesting. And obviously, this wouldn't be the last time you'll be here. We're probably going to deep dive into Korea a little bit more the next time around. So okay. Nathan, thanks for coming on the show. But I need to let the audience find you. So how do they find you on Twitter, you know, or the, any of your blogs that they can seek you out to understand Korea better? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect with people and uh, share my knowledge and experience of the Korean market. Um, people can always reach me on my work email address, which is Nathan at besuccess.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter uh, on Nathan underscore Mill. That's Nathan underscore M I L L. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. And generally speaking, if you do a Google search for Nathan Millard startups, um, you will definitely find a way of communicating with me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and and all the rest of them as well. Cool. And and you can all look out for Nathan Millard out there in the world. Okay. Um, this is Bernard speaking and you can definitely find me at my Twitter ID at bleongcw at allbernardleong.com and of course you can definitely follow the Twitter account of Analyze Asia is with a S and not a Z and analyze.asia and we always welcome feedback and do let us know how we could improve our show better. So Nathan, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me and I look forward to the next time.